And they, the disciples, all the disciples of Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added their number day by day, those who were being saved. And now from Acts 6. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Henry Nouwen was a, he was a Catholic priest, a really influential 20th century uh, writer, wrote about spirituality, about pastoral ministry. And uh, Henry Nouwen, uh, he, in the middle, he taught at places like Harvard Divinity School, Notre Dame, really prominent intellectual and speaker. And about midway through his life, he had this striking midlife crisis uh, where he realized he was teaching about ministry and about prayer, but he himself was isolated. He felt isolated, he felt anxious, depressed, um, prayerless in so many ways. And he, bringing this before God, he really sensed God's call on his life for him to leave behind a position of prominence at Harvard Divinity School and to go, go to this uh, center outside of Toronto called L'Arche, which is it's a, it was a center for where mentally handicapped people uh, live together in community uh, is a, a, through the Catholic Church. And he, he went and lived there among them. He, he sensed the call of God uh, to go and live among the poor in spirit, and they will heal you. And Henry Nouwen, after he moved to this community, he began to notice that his life changed dramatically. Uh, he noticed nobody cared there about his big accomplishments and his intellect. Uh, the, his, far more important than his ideas was just his presence showing up to things in person. Like, the number one question that the, 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 the uh, men and women who he lived with, they would ask him, they'd be like, are you staying home tonight? It's just, there was an hour-by-hour hour tracking of where he was and what he was doing. He also realized that he had a lot, he didn't have much control. He couldn't bedazzle these audiences with his, his intellect and his ideas. He just couldn't be the amazing individual doing it alone anymore. But he was still a, a kind of a big, sought-after speaker. So he was, he was invited after a few months, it was, I think it was around a few months to a year after he moved to large. He was invited to speak at this big-wig Catholic ministry event in Washington, D.C., uh, where the topic of the conference that he was going to speak at was the, the future of ministry leadership in the 21st century, which sounds like such like a cheesy conference, right, uh, with, you know, in some fancy glass hotel. And he, so he decided to go there, but he had been really meditating on, through his experience living among these, these folks, just how significant it was that Jesus sent his disciples out in twos, and uh, that he sent people, he sent uh, individuals not to minister alone, but to minister in community together. So to practice that, uh, Henry Nouwen brought a gentleman named Bill Van Buren, 
who was one of the, the folks who lived at large, one of the, the mentally handicapped folks who was really well, he, would, he was one of the, the ones who could express himself the best uh, verbally and with gestures. He brought Bill along with him. So Bill flew on the plane with him to the, the speaking event uh, in DC. Uh, he, Bill got his own hotel room uh, and got to you know, watch a bunch of TV, which he loved. Um, and, and Henry Nowen, throughout the, the, the time, was communicating to Bill, we're doing this together. Like, we're going to proclaim things in the name of Jesus together. And Bill, like, really took that, took initiative from that, and took steps that Henry, Henry Nowen wasn't expecting. Like, uh, Nowen went up to, 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 you know, to the lectern to speak, and Bill just came up with him. And Bill stood right next to him while he was giving his talk. And, and, uh, and Henry Nowen, when he would get through one of his pages of notes, like one of my notes, uh, Bill would take the page and remove it out of the way, so that way... It, uh, Henry Nowen wasn't bothered by the notes. Uh, sometimes when Henry would be get, giving these stories from his time at Larsh, uh, Bill Van Guren would interrupt him and would say things like, oh, we've heard that before. Uh, or, he, or he'd say, oh yeah, that's what John Smeltzer says. Uh, and, it, it, and Henry Nowen noticed that the, like, the audience was like way more like everything was calmer Everything, everyone was more playful, like there's more playful atmosphere. And he himself was really calmed by having Bill's presence there next to him on the stage. Uh, because he, it was, it, the two of them together were presenting like, it was, it was an authentic thing in front of them. Like he wasn't just some guy who came with ideas, you know, typing on, on his computer, uh, but he was a guy who had actually lived with these, with, with Bill. And they were a, an actual like a body, a community in front of the people an authentic community instead of just a, a guy doing it on his own. And, uh, and uh, it's, this, is, uh, this is what Henry Nowen later wrote. He said, it dawned on me that most likely much of what I said would not be long remembered, but that Bill and I doing it together would not be easily forgotten. Uh, what they did together, they did in Jesus' name. Something our, our mission statement here at Liberty is we seek to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in the river wards and wherever God has placed us. Uh, but a, a common question that we go to, that I go to, after hearing that as our mission statement, a question I think John has led us, John Alexander has led us in really well over the past few years in try, seeking to answer, is how? How do we do that? How do we live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus? How do we... How can we live in such a way that our neighbors, our friends, our family, who don't believe in Jesus, uh, will look towards us, look towards God in ways that are new? And, we, and we, how can we draw these, those who are far out in? How can we do that? And I think we have something of an answer in these passages. I think we learn something of what, what the habits are of a people who live, speak, and serve as the presence of Jesus. People who are on mission is another way of saying that. And I think like Henry Nouwen realized... Um, it, it will involve, and we'll see this in the passage, it involves living, speaking, serving as the presence of Jesus together as a community, not as isolated individuals, but together. We see this so much in Acts 2. So I'm going to spend most of my time in Acts 2 this morning. I'm going to talk about the habits uh, that cultivate. I think it cultivates a garden word that like till up the soil, that cultivate the habits that cultivate a missional people, that make us into a people of mission. We've been talking about mission a lot this month. And, and then I'm going to spend the, uh, the last bit of time talking about Acts 6 and the particular, particular place that the deacons have in that, that vision, that mission, in that cu cultivation. 
Uh, so one thing we see in these passages, in, at the end of both of them, in verse 47 of chapter 2 um, and in verse 7 of chapter 6, we see that the church was growing. Uh, grow, and, one, and it happens in, within the, the bounds of, of the Bible in the book of Acts. It also happens after the book of Acts is over. We know from early church history that the, the church, over the first few hundred years, it slowly grew in the face of many disincentives, in the face of many reasons not to become a Christian, and at times in the face of uh, state persecution, it grew. And one church historian, has, he observed, a historian of the early church, he knows it's interesting because growth happened in the early church despite an evident lack of planning and control. There, we, there weren't, like, the, the first... Uh, treatises and documents we have from the early church. They aren't about church planting strategies, as important as those are. Uh, they aren't about how to, you know, f f four steps to how to share the gospel with your neighbor. There aren't, there aren't documents like that from the early church. What there are instead are treatises like on patience, like how, like treatises on, on how to live a Christian life. They're, they're apologetics documents, like to the outside world, trying to intellectually co convince those who are outside of the faith. Uh, but a lot of the documents that we read about, like, how do we be on mission, are primarily about what habits we must have. And that's how the, and there's something about that and how the, the early church grew. And I think Acts 2 guides us in the habits, the ways of life, the rhythms, the, thing, the things that we do day in, day out, the habits we must cultivate if we're going to live as a missional people, a people who live, speak, and serve as the presence of Jesus to the blessing of our neighbors. So I want to draw your attention in Acts 2 to like two dimensions of habits that we can see in this passage. There are vertical habits, upward habits towards God, and there are horizontal habits. Habits, uh, things that we do that are towards one another. So first off, vertical habits. Worship. Worship is the central habit, the grounding habit of a people who are on mission. Look with me at this passage. Verse 42, these, these early disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. Also, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They know the, bre the breaking of bread is, no is noticed, noted twice here, in verse 42 and then again in verse 46. The one in verse 46 is in their homes. Um, I tend to think that the first breaking of bread could refer to like the Lord's table, the sacrament specifically. The second breaking of bread is just eating together a lot in each other's homes. It's both. Verse 43, awe came upon every soul. Their hearts were moved in worship. Verse 46, they attended the temple together. They went to religious services together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They, they practiced thanksgiving to God. They were, the early Christians were the guys, who, the guys and gals who probably prayed too long, you know, before, you know, blessing the food, you know. They, uh, verse 47, they were praising God having favor with all the people. There's just this note again and again and again and again in this vibrant life of the early church, this people on mission to whom God is multiplying their numbers, that their, their life is really, really orbits around worship. Um, worship, prayer, devotion to the word, the word of the apostles, thanksgiving, praise, these things are central. And I think that this note, uh, that the church that we most fundamentally uh, are to be a people of a people who worship, a place of worship, a house of prayer. This note, I think, is really worth hitting hard. The church is not a social club. The church is it's not a place 
primarily for making friends. The church is not a nonprofit organization for distributing goods, services, resources to the poor. The church is not a therapy clinic, a place where we, where we find emotional health. As good as, as each of those things are, and we really believe that God, he, out of his grace, he pours those things out to the church. And we believe the church is a unique place for all of those things. But it's not the primary thing that we are as church, the primary purpose of why we're here. The church is not a gospel marketing agency uh, where we try and get as many people to believe a few lines as quickly as possible. But the church is a house of worship. The church is a place of prayer, a place where we receive the the sacraments, the Lord's Supper of Baptism. The church is the place where we, in the Spirit and through the Son, return in praise to the Father. The church is a place where we worship the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is why we were created. This is why we were saved. This is what we are doing today. And this is what we will be doing until the end of days. And through all of eternity, this is why we are here. And also, like, it's, if, that, if there's any part of that that sounds prickly to you, what, all the, what the church is and what the church isn't, like, let's face it. There are organizations in our city and other places around the world that are going to do a better job at producing human flourishing primarily uh, than us. There are going to be better social clubs, better nonprofits, better therapists. Uh, That's not primarily why we're here. But the worship of the living God is what makes the church unique. And therefore, we can never abandon it as we think about our mission. And I really believe this, and like the, from the bottom of my heart, I believe this is what this text is saying, is that we will be the most missional, we will be the most on mission when we are the least ashamed of who we truly are in Christ. That we are a people, the people of God, seeking his face in worship. And all of the peace, all the joy, all the life, all the reconciliation, all the health, all the resources for the poor, all these good things, All these things that we are called to extend to the world, they must start in the place of worship. They they come out of the the fountainhead of worship. The way the Apostle John puts it, he puts it this way. We love because he first loved us. We love one another because he first loved us. And we encounter his love and worship. And we love him back in worship. And then out of that love, out of that relationship, out of that adoption, out of that transaction of love, we go out and we love the world. Um, out, of, out of the cross of Christ, where God, where, um, God sent his, his, his only beloved son to lay down his life for, for a world that was turning away from him. Out of that love, we go out and we love the world. Um, so what, um, what habits does this entail for us? Like speaking really practically, it's, it's pretty, it's one of these, sometimes like the, you know, trying to, like work application from like a text to like uh, us today is a bit of work. It's actually not that hard with this passage. It's kind of just doing the same stuff uh, in ways that we live in a life of, of worship. Of course, the way that we cultivate these vertical habits. We, we, we're called to go to church. We're called to receive the Lord's Supper, like receiving this, this, this meal every Sunday morning of the body and blood of Christ offered to us. Like this is not just a, a thing we do. This is like a place where our faith is actually 
strengthened, that we actually draw closer to God and are empowered by Him to go live in, live in His name out in the world. We're called to pray before meals at our homes, even if it's really hard and our kids are talking. We're called to read Scripture in our homes. Maybe, we're, maybe, maybe like I, we should be singing songs on Sunday mornings, perhaps even in our homes. We try and do a lot of these things in our home meetings, which are going to be starting up here in a few weeks, which is like our equivalent of small groups or Bible studies. Uh, we're, we pray for one another. These are like these are vertical habits. We, we're called to pray for one another out loud, even though it's awkward. Like, if you're here today and you're carrying just like a heavy, heavy burden, like, don't leave here today without asking someone here whom, whom you know, love, and trust um, to pray for you. Like, this is why we're here, guys. Don't leave without taking availing yourself of what we, we have here. Those are some of the vertical habits we see from Acts 2 of a people of mission. Uh, there are lots of horizontal habits, too, of, lo- of the, the members of this church loving one to another. Note how pervasive the sense of togetherness is throughout this passage. Verse 44, all who believed were together and held all things in common. Uh, Verse 45, presumably together they were selling their possessions and distributing what they had to one another and to the poor. Verse 46, day by day, which that expression is really striking, isn't it? Day by day, uh, they, they went to temple together and they ate together in one another's homes. Uh, the, the first time I ever encountered this, this passage, I, I was, uh, and like wrestled with it, I think I was a senior in high school and, uh, you know, good, like, red state American trained that person that I was, like, I, I, I read this passage and I was like, and like my, my commie alert went up and uh, went off. And I was like, this is, this, this passage is weird. I don't know. I don't know what I think about this. There's no capitalism here. The, the, uh, and the, the, the truth is that like they share, they're sharing everything. Like it, it's, it's challenging to us. I think how much the, these, these, this first community have in common. Uh, they're, they're sharing their homes, they're sharing their food, they're sharing their money, they're sharing their possessions, and perhaps most astonishing to us, they're sharing their time, lots of time, day, to day, day by day. They went to temple together. Um, here's how one church, church father puts it. He says, describing the church, he says, one in mind and soul, we do not hesitate to share our earthly goods with one another. All things are common among us, but our wives... Now, this isn't to say that we're required absolutely to give everything to each other all the time, but this this sharing together um, among the saints, among those who are called uh, to Jesus, who worship him, it should be something that really is a noticeable trademark of who we are. It should be observable. Um, These people, this first community, they'd have to be vulnerable with one another to know one another's needs. Uh, So with the vertical habits, I name things the church is not what the church is. Here's another thing the church is. And the church is a family. We see that exhaustively through the New Testament, particularly in the letters of Paul. Uh, we are an extended family. We are a kin group of brothers and sisters in Christ, knit together through adoption by the Father um, into a new family to bless the world. And what, what are some of, like, what are, for us now, looking back, it's like, what are these, what are these habits to be a missional people, to be the family of God, I think it means a few things. I think it means, I think it means fighting to be together. Fighting to be together, in short. 
Uh, I think we're called by this passage, by God, to, to be a missional people. We're called to fight together, fight to be together on our best days. I think liberty, we're called to like go to one another's weddings, graduations, graduation parties, baptisms, housewarming parties, anniversary parties. We're called to hold one another's babies after they come home from the hospital. I think we're called to feast together, to go to dinners, have soup nights, share hobbies together, whatever they may be, knitting, cooking, D&D. We're called to spend unrushed time talking together and knowing one another. We're also, I think, called to fight to be together on our worst days. Funerals, we, go to, we, we show up for funerals, for hospital visits. We sit with one another in the midst of suffering where, it's, where the suffering is so hard we don't even know what to say. We're called to flee to one another on the nights where we're at home alone and we're in despair. Or, even better, we're called to reach out to people who we know could be in that position among us proactively so they don't have to flee to us, but we go first to them. Fighting to be together on our worst days. We're, financially, we're called financially to help those of, among us who are in need. We have like an official church budget line item for that. But we're called to do that. Just, just really be, we're called to be people who do that in relationship. I've seen some of you do this. We're called to make meals for one another. Um, by God's grace, this church, I learned this through experience, this church is legendary when it comes to meal trains. Praise God. This is the kind of life we're supposed to live. But last, I would say, we're also, we also are called to fight to be together on our everyday days. Our best days, our worst days, but also our everyday days. Uh, we're called to show up when we can to home meetings or, or community groups, whatever, however God's calling us to be part of the community. Even though, let's admit it, every week it feels pretty darn impossible to show up. Uh, we're called to like go to play dates, have family dinners together. Invite one another in to weekly ways that we love our neighbors. We're called to give each other rides to the airports or to work or to school or to church. God calls us to fight to be together. This is the way Jesus was with his own disciples. I'm not just saying, like, be a really good person and do this. Uh, but we remember that um, Jesus, like God and Christ, he loved us so much that Jesus called us friends. And he's reconciled us to himself as friends through the blood of his cross. Jesus was this way with his own disciples, and therefore we live this way. Jesus was this way with his own disciples. This was the way of the early church, and now we have the privilege of finding creative ways to do this in our over-busy 21st century lives. I would just say, like, as I list off all these things, like, don't you want to be part of a family like this? There... I know there are some introverts in this room who are probably like, I don't know. <laughs> that sounds like a lot. Uh, that's like, even as I was like writing stuff, I was like, oh, this is, sounds exhausting. But I would, even for those of us introverts in the room, on our worst days, we really do. We really want to be part of a family like this. And by the way, our neighbors do too. Um, living as a people of mission, like, if we live this way together, we'll be like Henry Nowen and Bill Van Buren, offering a unique witness, not just as solitary individuals, but as a community, as a corporate witness, which is far more powerful, far, far, 
you know, you can't see through it. It's not fake. We need to do it together. Um, is there a risk in some of this uh, for clickishness? For clicks of people, like, I don't know if, if you think about these vertical, these horizontal habits. If there's any of you in here you think, is, there a re- is this like a recipe for some, you know, there being an in crowd and an out crowd? Guess what? Yes, there is. Uh, which brings us to Acts chapter 6. Um, and I'll spend a few minutes talking about, about this. Uh, in Acts chapter 6, I'm going to talk about how, in particular, the role that this new order of deacons have in the cultivation of these vertical habits and these horizontal habits. Uh, so the growing church, what we see in Acts 6, uh, it was predominantly made up of Jews uh, from the region of Judea who would have been speaking uh, Aramaic, would have known he- some Hebrew, most likely, uh, and the languages they spoke. And over time, a problem seemed to emerge uh, where there were Greek-speaking Jews. So similar ethnically, uh, similar sort of practices in their lives, spoke a different language, would have been cu- a culture a little bit different. The Greek-speaking Jews, and particularly their, their widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution of foods. So it's like there was like some kind of cluckishness that was going on. And this led to the origin of the deacons. The apostles see like it's not right for, for the, this group to be overlooked and not be part of receiving uh, food in the distribution. Uh, but the, the apostles realized they need to be focusing their, their attention on the ministry of the word and prayer. Um, so these seven men are raised up. These are, the, we, these are the first deacons. And significantly, at least five of them have Greek-sounding names. So they were, at least five of them were raised up as you know, men who were uh, filled with the spirit, filled with wisdom, who loved God, were raised up from among the people group whose widows were being neglected. And over the next couple chapters of Acts, uh, we see that these deacons, particularly Stephen and Philip, whose stories are covered over the next few chapters, uh, they really serve as like the tip of the spear for the church uh, in, in protecting the church uh, from becoming insulated, protecting against the cliquishness, uh, and more than that, they also really lead the way in the churches going out to the nations and being on mission. Like Stephen, uh, it preaches that, the God, that God doesn't dwell in houses made with human hands. There are ways he was kind of ahead of the apostles in some ways because the apostles were still day by day going to the temple together. Philip, the, the, the second deacon, he ministers in Samaria, which is a, a land of, of bad guys, and he baptizes an Ethiopian eunuch. Like he's going out. Um, in ways when the apostles are, are still kind of cramped up in Jerusalem. And the deacons are the ones who are making sure that these vertical and horizontal habits that I've been describing from Acts 2, uh, that these riches of life are always flowing outwards. First to within the community itself, think of the widows, but also flowing outwards outside the house of the church um, to neighbors and the wider community and the nations. And all, so they, they're guarding the, the, this, this life flowing out. Uh, but the deacons, they're also, those who, they also embody. They, they not only just make sure that the right things happen, they also are, are, are the, they're also uh, men who are guarding, who actually embody these exact habits. They practice them, right? Uh, Stephen is, the vertical, I think of the vertical habits I was describing earlier. Stephen is a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. These are, you know, deacons are, they're more than just people who, who serve tables. They're also men and women of faith. And also horizontally, they embody this. These are, these are people who actually, in what they do, are fighting for a fair distribution within the church, fighting for the togetherness that I was talking about. Um, so yes, deacons are servants. That's what uh, the word deacon means. 
Uh, they make sure everyone gets something to eat. Yes. Um, they make sure that the offerings are received and distributed. Uh, throughout the history of the church, they, deacons usually care for church property um, when that starts to happen. Deacons do all these things, yes. But in their service, and at a deeper level, uh, deacons are the, they're the guardians of the Acts 2 life of the church that I was just describing. They're the guardians of these vertical and horizontal habits. Uh, the, the elders, uh, the, other, the, the two offices of the church are elders and deacons. And the elders are guardians too. The, elder, the elders are guardians of the doctrine and the morals of the church, the purity of the church in a lot of ways. Uh, but in many ways, the deacons are the ones who guard the life of the church. Uh, they, the deacons are the ones who befriend the lonely. They advocate for the overlooked. They listen to the unheard. Um, and this is why the deacons are so central to our mission as the church. Uh, because they, though they're limited and reliant on Christ, uh, there are ways that they're the guarantors. They're the ones who guard and provide through Christ's power, um, the life of the church, uh, who protect it. Um, and that life, which I've been describing, is in so many ways just like the aroma of Christ to the world. Um, it's that which draws, draws, draws those who are outside in. In summary, how do we, going back to the question I asked earlier, how do we live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus? Cultivating horizontal horizontal and vertical habits, worship and togetherness. These are the sources of our, our life. Christ gives us life through these habits in the church. And it's the privilege of the deacons to embody and guard that life in the church. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.